0: I'm Odell Cleveland. Thanks again for joining us for the
1: I Hear You podcast. I'm here with my partner in crime, Alex. Alex. Good morning, my dear friend. How you been, man?
0: Hey, listen, I've been good. You know, the other morning when we met at 7.30, 7.30 in the morning at Panera Bread, and we just talked and. Two and a half hours later, we're still talking, just getting to know each other, getting to understand our families and just getting more as friends. And then later on, I invited you to come over. I was sharing with you what we were doing at the church as far as COVID vaccine. And you came over. And so what did you think
1: when you came over and walked through with us? Oh, wow. That was a great day. And hey, it's good to see you. Good to be with you on the I Hear You podcast. We appreciate everybody listening. But that was a special day because we, we met for coffee. And, you know, like you said, a couple hours went by and I was thinking, man, I got to get into my day. And I don't want this to end because, you know, friendship is such a blessing. And I saw you know just a, a great friendship deepening but when i went over to your church mount zion which uh, by the way give give the website of the church for people that might be listening if you would
0: well just mountzion.com mountzion.com mount yes
1: it, it is one of our one of our state's great churches and I, i'll tell you what i'm really kind of jealous of you because you are a really good administrator and organizer and mount zion church is administering the covid vaccine serving our region by being one of the spots where the health department and the the state has a COVID vaccine. Now, I'm a guy. uh, I do a lot of speaking. I do a lot of writing. I do a lot of broadcasting. But I do not have the gift of administration. So when I was over there and I was looking at everything running so well, people were in line being served. Everybody's happy. Everything's very efficient. I was like, man, Odell, that dude can organize stuff. And frankly, I'm envious of your administrative abilities.
0: You know, Alex, I thought you would say you're envious because I'm better looking than you, but that's okay. You know, we'll kind of go from that. That But but you know, it's interesting that when you think about it from a perspective of church, this is kind of how I look at it. Thank you for the compliments. We look at churches or houses of worship, mosques, temple, synagogues as houses of worship or houses of prayer and all that's true. But I also look at it as a house of service. So when you look in the community and you look at a Mount Zion and it's not just me, it's me and a team of people putting all this together. But when you look at it as a house of service, then you look at Mount Zion is doing COVID testing on one end of the church, COVID vaccine on the other end of the church. And in the midst of it, COVID funerals going on and feeding people, you know so all that is houses of service and i think my friend this is how we call
1: ministry exactly exactly and you know when you're talking about serving you're talking about people now our country is really immersed in in a conversation and a bit of a struggle well a very real struggle about race and and let's let's talk a little bit about that and um let me just say as a as a white person, and you're an African-American black pastor. So here's, I got a question that I want to throw out here. And let's let's unpack this just a bit, if if we could. What things do white people say or do that might lead a black person to assume that they're a racist?
0: Great question. But repeat that again. Make sure I well, get it.
1: What do white people do that would make black people think they are racist? You know, when you when I answer your question,
0: let me first define what a racist is. Okay, and it goes from biases. We talked in the last show about biases. Biases is favoring one side or one person or issue over another. Mm-hmm. It's like a preference. I prefer this over that. Now biases usually lead to prejudices, mm-hmm. and prejudices a preconceived opinion. That is not based on a reason or actual experience. You know, I'm prejudiced against this type of person. I'm prejudiced against that type of person. Now, prejudice leads to racism. Mm -hmm. Is the belief that different races possess distinct characteristics or one race is better or superior to the other race. So to answer your question, I don't know what's in your heart, my friend, Mm -hmm. but when I say stuff to you like what happened at Mother Emanuel when the young man went into Bible study and killed all those black folks, or if I say to you, how do you feel about, um, Charlottesville, Virginia, where people were saying, blood and soil, Jews will not replace me. Or if I say, how do you feel about January the 6th, when we saw the flags and we saw the people storming the Capitol you know, we saw so many different type of flags and we all say we love America. And I, I learned as a child, you know, the American anthem, more or less, you know, God bless America, uh, pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, for which, you know, I, I, that's what we were taught. We were taught that as a child. But that same flag that we were taught as a child, Alex, was this. When you see the flags, the Confederate flag. You see the Gatson flag, don't tread on me. You saw, I saw Jesus flags. When mm. you saw the new flag, the thin blue line, we need to talk about that. When well, you January talk about 6th, the you're saying? American flag, yes. You talk about all the different state flags and, of course, the Trump flags. So I don't know what's in your heart as a Black person. Are you a racist or not? But I'm watching, I'm looking, not judging, but based on what you say and how you respond. That's the only indication I have. Unless you come out and say, Odell, I am a white supremacist. Odell, I'm a, I am a white nationalist. I hate this and I hate that. So I don't know. But based on those, so I'm interested to hear your responses on those questions. Or how do you think the average white person will respond to those issues?
1: My response to all of those things, appalled, heartbroken, uh, committed that God might use me to help change that. You mentioned Charleston and Dylan Roof. That that was so heartbreaking, and that was pure evil. And so to your question, what I would say with with all of these things, the killing of George Floyd, when I saw that video, uh, it was a mixture of anger and sadness and grief. So for all of these and in any other violence, I would say condemned in the strongest possible term, uh, appalled, and committed that we together and with the help of God would stand against racism and violence against black people and, and all people.
0: And again, when you start thinking about Charlottesville, not yeah. all but some. When you start thinking about you know what happened in January the sixth, not all but some. I don't think everybody who was there, the peaceful protesters, are racist. But I do believe some of them were. Yes. So somewhere. have you ever been asked to get involved in white nationalists or any type of group that you know as a racist group? Because I came from a small town called Abbeville, South Carolina, my family came from. And Abbeville to this day prides itself as being the birthplace and the deathbed of the Confederacy. Mm. Now, when you deal with that kind of stuff, our, our family and our DNA, we used to see. Uh, folks in Ku Klux Klan sheets and robes. we used to seeing that. That doesn't scare us. That doesn't concern us as much as the white nationalists or the racists, not in a Ku Klux Klan robe, but sitting behind the bench in judgment, in a black robe. where you handing down sentences to individuals? When you say justice is blind, Mm -hmm. for a lot of us, we don't believe justice is blind. We think justice is peeping a little bit, just to see, is it a black person or a white person committing this crime? What's your thoughts on that, my friend?
1: Well, you know, one of the great things about America that uh, we we need to live up to is equal protection under the law. And and I admit that has not always been the case. Uh, you asked the question, have I ever been asked to be a part of uh, a racist group or a white nationalist group? Oddly enough, I wasn't completely took me by surprise. But several years ago, uh, when I was in Charlotte, uh, a, a person that I was establishing a friendship with, I thought, was asked me, I was on the road, he called me on my cell phone, asked me to come to an initial Ku Klux Klan meeting. This, this was about 2010 or 2011. For one thing, I, I, I was very ignorant. I assumed it probably still existed, but I never dreamed that uh, a stockbroker in Charlotte, North Carolina would be involved in such a thing. Let let, let me say this, Um, way in the eastern part of North Carolina, it's not there anymore, but there's a town called Smithfield, famous for two things. One, Ava Gardner, the actress, was from Smithfield, and also they make a lot of barbecue down that way. I was a little boy, I was probably six, seven years old, we're driving to the eastern part of the state to a family reunion, and we're going through Smithfield, and there was a billboard, Uh, I don't know if you ever knew this. There was a big billboard as you head east, and there was another billboard as you head west. And it said, uh, and there was a a Ku Klux Klan member on a horse with like a a jousting rod. And it said, uh, you are entering Klan country. And I didn't know what it was. And I asked my mother, I said, what is that? Because it scared me. I mean, the, the image on this billboard, I can see it, it was black, white, and red. And she she said, that's a terrible thing. Don't look at it. And I, and I didn't. And coming back the other way, again, I'm maybe five, six years old. She said, look down. Don't look at that thing. Now, uh, that surprised me. And years later, there was an article about it, and they finally took it down. But here's something I think people need to know. These groups and, and and I want to say as not only a professor of constitutional history but as as a citizen and as a minister, this is ungodly. It is ungodly and un-American that a group like the Ku Klux Klan would exist. And and so in Charlottesville, um, anytime we digress into mob rule and There are people that are not serving the interest of the country, certainly not serving the interest of God, uh, and certainly not loving their neighbor, as the Bible tells us to do. Uh, My heart breaks. Um, But at at the very same time, Odell, I I try to be measured and rational. I don't want to fight evil with additional evil or, or something Over the top, I'm trying to be measured, trying to say my prayers, live my life and influence people in a productive way, not in a way that causes more um, disorder and chaos. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yes. And again, based on your answer to your question, I would say to my question, I would say that you're not a racist. But what I would say this and as my friend who I care about and respect the question wasn't to question you like you're on a witness stand. Sure. It was a question you for me and the audience to have a better understanding. Yeah. Now, when you start talking about white nationalists, Ku Klux Klan and everything else, you know, and God in the Bible, a lot of people believe that the Bible tells them that they are superior to folks like me, people of color. The cross, the cross, the, the very cross, the sacred cross was what used to be burned in on people's yards. So you know you', you demonic said it, well but but that's the whole thing about assumptions. that's the whole thing about the paradox of this dysfunction of democracy and what we're trying to do in our country, because we learned a long time ago that a country divided cannot stand we we can't stand, so I believe that racism and systemic racism is a big problem in our country right now. This is how I see it. I see it like the old-fashioned snow globes. You know, it used to be a snow globe. You grab it, you shake it up, and the snow starts floating through the water. Or some would say, I'm old enough to remember a show called I Dream of Genie." Oh, yeah. You know, where you rubbed it and the genie came out. Well, I think that in the last X amount of years, folks in power have rubbed the genie, has shaken the racial snow globe. And now it's full blast. And I think it came to a head in January the 6th. Mm -hmm. So now how do you get the genie back in the bottle? How do we get the snow to settle down? Because I think that like muddy in the water, racism is here. It's going to always be here. But as a society, I think that we don't have to go to, we hate each other because of the color of their skin or their nationality, anything like that. So when we hear stuff like blood and soil, Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that's crazy. I thought that was in a museum. When I went to Israel, I saw a museum there, the Holocaust Museum, that looked and reminded me of what I saw in South Carolina growing up. You know, that kind of stuff. So the racist history of America that we thought, some of us thought, was we were past that was in a museum that was relics, just like as Christians we celebrate Jesus' resurrection, it looks like the resurrection of racism is healthy and well in America. What's mm-hmm. your thoughts on that, my friend?
1: Well, it's unfortunate. Uh it's unfortunate. Um, I do think, and uh maybe I'm naive, but I, I think it's it's if not completely fixable, at least we can make progress. We can make progress. And I, I, I really honestly believe that every citizen has the duty, and I would say the privilege, and, and I want to give a couple of examples of what a blessing this is, but I think we have the, the duty and the privilege to be a part of eliminating racism and loving our neighbor, making friendships. Um, a, a big and, and hopefully what we would move toward, like I, Dr. King envisioned this, a lot of other people that we have read after and admired in the past could could concur, but that our kids, hopefully our kids, maybe it's years from now, would live in an America where as much as is humanly possible, it is colorblind. And the kids play together on the playground. Uh, the grownups break bread together around the table. And we're we're just... Not so much ethnicities and races, because there's one race, the human race, where people are people. But uh, it's, it's not color, but it's relationships, and it's neighbors and friends and co-workers. And it's, it's truly one nation under God with liberty and justice for all. That's where we want to be. That's
0: what I learned as a child. Yeah. You know, we put our hands over our hearts and we sung our hearts out, you know, America the beautiful, all, all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, we did that. Now, let, let's switch it up a little bit, because I don't want it to be just all one sided. How does white people feel when it comes to and you can't speak for all white folks and I can't speak for all sure. black folks, but it was something a simple protest when Kola Kaepernick took a knee. And the whole world went crazy, or when you had George Floyd and you had Black Lives Matter and the world went crazy from a white person's perspective. Because I understood and supported what Colin Kaepernick did, I understand and support from my perspective Black Lives Matter, what it is and what it's not. From your perspective, how did you see it? Because the beautiful part about what we're doing here on this podcast, I hear you. Mm-hmm is getting an understanding of other people's perspective, and based on that, we can move forward. So from your white perspective, my friend, yeah. let's talk about Colin Kaepernick. Let's talk about that peaceful protest that he did. Then let's talk about Black Lives Matters and how you see, and others like you may see, Black Lives Matter. Understanding that you can't speak for all white people, right. I can't no, speak for all black people, but we're two individual, courageous enough, to talk about things that a lot of people want to talk about.
1: Yeah. And and for all the people that hear this podcast, um, give us feedback. You know, I'd love, love to hear from you. And you're right. I mean, I'm only speaking for Alex here. Can't speak for anybody else. I absolutely respect and defend Colin Kaepernick's right to free speech and to express himself. He's got the right to do that. That is his right and his choice. And I would defend his right to do that. At the same time, it does. um, uh, I I never did like it. I'll tell you why. I mean, I I know a lot of veterans. I know a lot of people that have given their lives for the red, white and blue. And also, let me just say this, having traveled to much of the world, um, you know, he makes millions of dollars playing sports and America has given him that opportunity. Now, um, in this world, nothing's perfect. There's been... Uh, things about America that are n- not ideal and undesirable But at the same time he, He's rich and he's famous here in America I know he wouldn't get that in many other nations of the world So I'm like um, Hey man, I, I, I get it But don't spit on the America that's given you A life that 99% of us would never even experience So, um, you know I respect his right to disagree, but if in the workplace you're expected, because the fans have paid money to come to the game, uh, those of us watching on TV, you know, we buy the products that the advertisers end up televising the thing. Hey, if, if part of your employment agreement stand for the national anthem, um, and, and let me also say a lot of impressionable kids What if, just like, listen carefully, just like some children would see Charlottesville, and that's a horrible example, the the riotous racist adult set for the watching children. I look at Colin Kaepernick, and what if some child sees him and is led to be ambivalent, if not hateful to America? So I I don't want to waste too much time on this subject, but um, I guess I'm like, let's remember how the bread gets buttered and i'm not saying america's perfect i'm not saying give us a pass on everything but man you know you're you're wealthy and you're famous and you've got an amazing lifestyle because of america and so it, it and i know a lot of people that have given their lives or at least limbs for protecting our freedom so can can black america understand why Colin Kaepernick feels like a slap on the face, just like we're we're trying to understand how the history of blacks in the USA, we understand how that's been a, a, a slap in, in y'all's face.
0: Got it. And, and the beautiful thing and the, the beautiful thing about this is we get to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. You mentioned Colin Kaepernick and then we go to Black Lives Matter. Not all, but for some black people, and I count myself in this number, you talked about. America gave Colin Kaepernick a great opportunity. I agree with that a hundred percent, but also you talked about the workplace and their rules around working. I agree with that a hundred percent Now, like you told me, listen closely, I need you to listen closely too, okay. America gave black people opportunities. Under the American flag, I pledge allegiance to the flag. And this is what this is all about, right? Yeah. And he kneeled peaceful protest on the flag. The same America that allowed Colin Kaepernick to become famous and rich because of his skills and ability is the same America that was made rich and famous by Colin Kaepernick's ancestors who were forced into slavery, who were enslaved. They didn't have the rights. When you talk about working, I don't think the slaves had the opportunity to have a contract or an agreement with the unions or anything else on working conditions. You talked about many people on the flag gave life and limb. I think with the lynching, I think with the raping, I think with the dehumanization of slavery that America, I consider Americans' original sin, and all the money from cotton fields to labor to rape to pulling black babies away from black mamas, selling them. And where I'm from, Charleston, South Carolina, led the world in imported slavery. People like me was a commodity. So with that being said, America, I dare America, I dare all of us to see it just one side. But the good thing about it is we get to talk about it. Exactly. Because those without sin cast the first stone. So that's how I can see from your perspective how people like, I dare him kneel doing the national anthem. And we say, I see that because a lot of that was politicized by our president and our vice president. When, you know, made it a point, divide and conquer. But did anyone take the time to understand what he was protesting for? He was protesting for the abuse and killing of African-American males. Mm -hmm. Now, everybody knows that black-on-black crime, we know that. We know that and we're dealing with that in the black community. But also, we all know as Americans that the number one killer of Americans are heart disease, cardiovascular disease. Second thing is cancer. But now in the midst of all of this, my friend, the third thing is COVID-19. Mm. That's the one. And COVID got a late start. It's a year old. It's a baby. And it's already the number three killer. So in the midst of us fighting about Colin Kaepernick, fine. And America punished Colin Kaepernick for his protest by him not getting another job. Correct? So the hand that... Gave out is the same hand who denied, in my opinion. But now let's we'll respond to that. Then let's talk about Black Lives Matters because it's good when we get to see each other's side on it. Or respond to my thoughts because I don't have a premium on the truth, but I have a perspective. Huh. And the good thing here, yeah. we appreciate and respect each other's perspectives. And I don't speak for all black people. I speak for Odell Cleveland, the good looking black guy. And I know huh. you don't speak for all white people.
1: I first became aware of Black Lives Matter uh, probably in the late spring of 2020. So I went on the website, Odell, and I I like spent an hour and a half like reading everything I could on the website. While I I can agree and appreciate, in theory, I mean, Black Lives do matter, Uh, we condemn uh, police violence against Black people. But I read the website and there were several things that were major red flags. You know, the old saying, the devil's in the details. Okay, When I first read the Black Lives Matter website, uh, the word Marxist was on there, that um, we need economic justice and a Marxist socialist economic model will help us achieve that. Okay, I'm kind of freaking out when I read that. But here was one thing that I categorically rejected. And it said, basically, and this is pretty close to verbatim, we must move beyond the Western model of the nuclear family. And I know enough from, you know, teaching developmental psych, studying developmental psych, nuclear Western family model is code speak for saying that children don't need a mother and dad. Now, another topic for another day, I I would argue that the best thing for America and certainly the best thing for the black community is strong families. So when the Black Lives Matter website And it was on there well up into the middle of the summer. Finally, enough people were commenting that they they sanitized and they cleaned up their website. But, I mean, they were basically saying, we don't need a mother and father family. Children are raised by a a village. And I I know that, but so let me say, in theory, uh, of course I agree. Um, I would try my best to defend all human life, black life, but... If, to the degree that Black Lives Matter is a political vehicle to promote Marxism, to promote um, globalism and the breakdown of the family, to be anti Semitic and stand against the state of Israel, to the degree, and I think this is a very valid objection, and it, it, God knows I'm not saying this out of racism, I'm saying this out of care for democracy, to the degree that Black Lives Matter, was a vehicle to promote a political ideology, I, I had to push back against that.
0: Okay. okay. So before I before I respond to that, because I definitely want to respond, but sure. I want to touch base with the audience and say, hey, thank you so much for continuing to follow us on Facebook or on Twitter. You could follow me personally on Twitter at Odell Cleveland. And for those who really want a blessing, Go to IHearYou.Show. If you want to get some swag, we have some great um, I Hear You dog tags. Uh, wait till you see them. It's just good. They are cool. And it's just nice. And so, again, I just want to say please follow us on Facebook and Twitter or go to IHearYou.Show to get some cool swag or follow the good-looking black guy, Odell Cleveland, <laughs> Twitter Odell Cleveland. Alex, how do they follow you on Twitter, sir?
1: Well, uh, Rev Alex McFarland is my, my Facebook and on Twitter is at Alex McFarland. And so I would love for people to follow us, you know. Uh, and hey, get a, get a coffee mug. We're, we're cranking out these podcasts because there's a lot to talk about. I, I'm seeing the day and maybe some enterprising visionary out there wants to help organize this. We should do like a live webcast and a Q&A. In cities around the country, uh, I love to travel. I'm an event guy, but hey, talk to us and and follow. I hear you, and who knows, we might come to your city someday and do one of our one of our discussions before your your neighborhood. But um, you know, uh, the family is is key. Uh, I really believe that. One other thing I've got to say: can, can I just share a little bit a story about growing up in the South? Are we still on Black Lives Matter? Or are we on the Alex story? Where Where are we? Um. Well, th- this speaks to why I, I, I stand with Black Lives Matter to the degree that it truly is about Black Lives mattering. But if it's about a political agenda that's going to ultimately undermine the Constitution and our civil rights, I've got to push back against that. Wow. OK, so let, let me let me comment before I, before
0: I lose my thought. I'm a supporter of Black Lives Matters, but I want to respond to it after your thoughts, because the idea of a political agenda that overthrows the country and the Constitution, I thought we just saw that on January the 6th. Yes. We saw a, we, because the Black Lives Matter, you are saying if it is, but we saw the reality that it was on January the 6th. So go ahead and tell your story. And I want to I'll uh, Jump in on Black Lives Matter after that, because but the good thing about it is we're talking about things that everybody that I think the majority of people want to talk about. And we're talking about it in a civil way and two people who love and care for each other. So this is great, man. It this is. is great. This is great for me. I hope it's as good for you as it is for me and audience. Thank you so much for allowing us to deal deep dive into these things. That's going to help save America. Go ahead, my friend. Tell us your story.
1: Well, uh, I, I, I want to say this after uh, the Dylan Roof uh, killings in Charleston, I was on the radio, I was on a show, and I had a, um, a black police chief from a city call in. I, I don't know where he was, but he called in, and he asked me, said, so, "What do you think about the Confederate flag?" And I, I said, uh, "I think we need to get rid of it." And I said, "I want to call on my you know American brothers and sisters. Do not fly that flag." And this caller, he said, I was glad to hear you say that. And he said, as a Southerner, you know, why are you okay with the eradication of the Confederate flag? And I said, well, at least for this reason, and, and this maybe will help you understand where I'm coming from. Um, I believe I would, I would take a bullet for the, the word of God, the Bible. I, I stand for God and his word. But a very, very close second, I care about the U.S. Constitution, And I I honestly believe the Confederacy was an act of treason. And so I I know the Confederate flag makes a lot of people uncomfortable, certainly black Americans, but I am so wedded to the defense of the U.S. Constitution that I believe the Confederate flag stands as a treasonous thing. uh, January 6, 2021, I condemn that. Because I want to see America preserved, and all of those rioters that rushed and vandalized the Capitol and people died—that was wrong, folks. If you think you're serving the interest of America by by that, you're you're delusional. And so I've got to condemn that, out of care for God and country and people. But um, regarding Black Lives Matter, um, growing up and. I don't mean to reference myself, but there was a a student that I was in school with in about third or fourth grade, and his name was James, and um, he was a black student, and he rode our bus, and he got off at a pretty rough-looking little shack. Um, We're down here in rural North Carolina, but he was the nicest guy, and I'm going to be straight with you. He was a really, really good kickball player. And basketball player, so when we were picking teams at recess, I would always try to pick James because he was awesome, and he was just a nice guy. And so one day I'm getting on the bus, and uh, we come to his house, and nobody would let him sit, and and I can see it now, Odell. And listen, I'm no saint. I'm not saying this to pat Alex on the back. I'm not, but I'm way at the back of the bus, and I notice James comes. And all these guys slide over to the aisle and won't let him sit down. And that made my little third grade heart hurt. So I said, hey, man, come sit here. And everybody looked at me. and I'm like, I don't care what you think. I said, James, sit here. And the expression on his face, it was a combination of relief and gratitude. And I was like, hey, man, you can sit with me. Fast forward to just a few years ago. I'm in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm in line at a uh, little convenience store to get my ever-present Diet Pepsi. And I see a, a guy and uh I'm thinking he he came over I said, "James." And he he was like, "Yeah." And I said, "Man, it's good to see you. what's going on. He's become an executive with UPS. He was a UPS driver, now he's he's a suit, you know?" I said, man, it's good to see you. He said, I know you're a preacher. And I said, hey, man, God bless you. It's good to see you. We exchanged photos, married kids. Anyway, so we're standing there. I said, well, hey, it's just good to see you after all these years. And he looked at me. And we were about to go. And he said, you remember you, remember you let me sit with you on the bus? And I said, yeah. And he said, thanks. Now, that's 30 years ago. But as a kid, Maybe it was selfishness to build the best kickball team, but maybe it was just the realization nobody should be made to feel ashamed for existing. And I was like, doggone it, don't forbid him to sit down on the bus. Everybody deserves a seat on the bus. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not being I'm not doing this justice. But I don't know, somehow, and it was God and my parents, but I It was birthed in my little heart that nobody should be made to feel ashamed for existing. And anyway, I was like, we got to we got to love each other. We're people. People are people.
0: You know, it's interesting that I believe, Alex, that you are doing more than just recruiting a good kickball player. (laughs) I think that your simple act of kindness is the spot-on solution on how we get ourselves out of this dilemma that we're in now. Because when you think about America, ending racism, it's a one-on-one job. It's people like you and I and so many others, you know, that we have to talk to each other. We have to understand each other. We have to listen to each other. Because the thing about I hear you is hearing is, is a physical act. I hear without ears. But when I listen to you, and you listen to me, that's what our heart, that's what our soul, that's what our spirit, and we go away and say, I may not agree with everything Odell said today on the podcast, but I listened to him. I did more than just hear him. Now, here's a story about Black Lives Matters for me. Okay, Growing up, I'm 60 years old. Growing up in the third grade is where the first time I really got into contact with systemic racism doing integration to schools in South Carolina. South Carolina was horrible in school integration. Um, I was an A student in the first grade, all black elementary school, A student in the second grade, all black elementary school. Um, third grade went to a school with a white teacher and I had no idea as a six, seven year old that what I was dealing with. It's almost like punching, you're fighting, but you're punching in the sky. You're punching the air, you're punching the wind. And I had a racist teacher who did everything she could to get me in special ed class. We fought it again, um, talking about family. My mother uh, was a divorced single mother with four kids. You know, people get divorced. And it's interesting when you start talking about racism and black lives. And I see it so differently from you, but I understand where you're coming from, though. That's the good thing about it. I don't agree, but I understand. And I think that's that's. The S is what we're trying to do. Imagine this. My mother at 25 years old, we're living in public housing because we used to be homeless. Now all of a sudden, she's having a stroke. We live five minutes from Medical University of South Carolina, one of the premier, the premier medical hospitals at that time. So they rush her over there to the in the ambulance, and she goes in, and the doctor on call or the doctor who was there looked at her and said, you having paralysis, Uh, go back home. This is say a Friday, go back home and come back on Tuesday, the free clinic day. Now my mother had health insurance. She worked for Manhattan shirt factory in Charleston, South Carolina. So she had health insurance. I can't say that that doctor was racist, Alex. I can't say that, but what I can say That doctor's decision to send my mother home because anybody who ever experienced a stroke, we know that seconds and minutes counts. So you send her home for two and three days. Now, my grandmother had a white Jewish, I say white Jewish doctor who came over and looked at my mother and he said, no, that's a stroke. And he went, he went to the medical university and made them admit my mother in two days. Mm. My mother stayed in the hospital for four months fighting for her life. What happened if this Jewish doctor didn't see passion on this black woman and took her back? But let me tell you what happens with racism. Now, all of a sudden, for the rest of our lives, my mother is paralyzed. Now, it's no one's fault that she had the stroke. It's not racism fault that she had the stroke. But I would say it's racism fault mm that the care that she received, the medical care. So racism is not just about school. It's just not just about medical. It's our whole society. And since that time, that incident right there as a seven-year-old child and going through integration and everything caused me to hate white people at a time. I hated you and I didn't even know you. So that was racism on my behalf. And the reason why I hated you is because what white people did to my mother and because of what they did to my mother is what they did to me. Right. And even today, I'm blessed that I don't hate you anymore. Amen. I thank God for redemption, Jesus. I don't hate you, but I keep an eye on you because I know what racism can do because I know what it did for me and my family. Now, fast forward, grew up in public housing. Tried to do all the right things. Failed third grade once because got kicked out of school. Third, fo- failed fourth grade once, got kicked out of school. Found some teachers who saw in me what other people didn't see in me. White teachers. So it's not all, it's not all white people. It's some right. who nurtured me, said, Odell, oh, you can do this, you can do that. Believed it, took off. Now... Years later, make it out of public housing. My wife is blessed to be a vice president of one of the the big medical system here. We move into a a neighborhood 20-something years ago. Let's just say a very, very, very expensive neighborhood. Now my kids are coming home, right? You talk about Black families. I'm Black. I'm a family. I'm a father in the household. All the stereotypes people say is not here. Yeah. Even right. though my father wasn't in mine. So we come home, the police, the sheriff, law enforcement stop my kids. What are you doing in this neighborhood? So one day they come home for Christmas, like everybody else, they're in college. They come home for Christmas and the sheriff comes over and the sheriff stops them at one o'clock in the morning, comes into my house, in my yard and going to arrest my son, my nephew, what are you doing? And my nephew explains he live here. The sheriff said, well, there's a lot of crime in this neighborhood. So now, of a sudden, me and my wife's upstairs sleeping, happy that our boys are home, black boys, and outside, it's a bias. We talk about bias. A bias virus outbreak on my front yard where we have two sheriffs coming there, getting ready to arrest, getting in an argument with my sons. And in those days, the only get-out-of-jail-free card was for the sheriff who had the gun and a badge that I threatened, felt threatened for my life. So imagine me running downstairs because my son ran upstairs. Mama, daddy, come on out here. Some stuff going on. Imagine me running downstairs in my fancy neighborhood and my son's blood is in his own front yard. Now I told that story at an NCCJ dinner. NCCJ deals with bias, prejudice, and racism. They fight it. I told that story and so many people got upset. They got upset with me. And this is, wasn't at a Trump rally. This is what, what people who say We raised close to, me and my wife was the dinner chair. We raised close to $350,000 at the time. And they say they're there to fight bias, prejudice, racism. But they said, Odell, you made us uncomfortable. Mm. They said, Odell, you were too loud. They said, Odell, you said the police. And it wasn't the police, it was the sheriff, because you live out in the suburbs. Right. But what they didn't say was they didn't want to hear the fact that law enforcement can be biased, can be prejudice, could be racism when it comes to black kids. And they say, why are you in this neighborhood? Because we live in this doggone neighborhood. Mm. That's why they're there, because they live. And they said, well, we didn't know who your nephew, because he had dreadlocks. So because he, are you afraid of black men with dreadlocks, Alice? Is America, white America afraid with black men with dreadlocks? Do you feel bad that you live in a $300,000 house, and then all of a sudden a black person lives next to you, move in next to you? That's the issue. Yeah. That's what I fight. So when black lives matter. And I understand, don't agree with everything you said, but I'm going to go back and do the research and check it out. Yeah. I'm going to check it out because I'm going to be fair and balanced. Yeah. You know, sound like, sound like a TV show, fair and balanced. But I, I appreciate you not just hearing me. And audience, I appreciate you not just hearing me, but listening to how I got to where I am. How a lot of black people got to where they are. From my mother, she had insurance. And thank God for the Jewish doctor. And you say, oh, why Jewish? Why not just say doctor? Because if if it was just a doctor, we wouldn't have got in. We wouldn't have got in. He got us in. He saved my mother's life by just getting her admitted to the doggone hospital, Alex, and she had insurance.
1: I hear you. (laughs) To uh, reference to But are are you listening to me? To the best of my ability to the best of my ability. And you know what? The, my heart is sad to hear that, that young men just going into their house would get profiled and called out. I mean, that's wrong. That is wrong. Wrong bias, wrong prejudice. Uh, but you know what? I do think about this. Like the Jewish doctor helping your mother and like the teacher that wants to help you succeed in elementary school. And ultimately, you would become a published author, an educator. Leader of one of America's great churches. Here, here's a, a fact, folks, and we probably are running out of time. But just as one person can do evil that reverberates for years and years and years, a person can do something good that reverberates positively for many years as well. Um, I, I'm a, a an accumulation of people that have invested in me. You have been invested in, and so I guess our call to action. Let, let's keep talking. Let's talk and let's listen and let's be respectful. And at the bottom of the page, man, we leave here as friends, neighbors, brothers, but friend, go out there and do some, be, be the gesture that will, somebody will finally remember for years and years. And we can do this every day. Can't we? Yes. I hear you, Alex. I hear you, my brother. Folks, thanks for listening to I Hear You. You can go to I Hear You dot and uh, share this podcast. Follow us on social media, uh, and with all my heart, and I know I speak for Odell and myself, we thank you for listening.